I will never. I'm never gonna watch it again. I would not recommend it. I really have an awful oh, time watching it. I'm glad we're here to talk through and and dialogue. I won't have much to say. I, I'm just really here to just for some. You can be the cheerleader. I'll, no. I'll use my Tron Jesus power to convert you, and uh, I'll make you watch the sequel, which will. The sequel, the sequel looks will, good. The sequel looks a lot better than this. I was just really like. I started the sequel. So, I was so mindlessly just like. I did. I was just not. Let's let's uh let's get to the show and and then we'll bring in the, all this stuff because this is great stuff for the podcast. But uh, I it, honestly, we're we're kind of doing more of a cold open style, anyways, with these. So I'm gonna get booed by our fans. <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> please, uh, please rate and review our show on on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and Spotify, et cetera, so that that we can get fans and get noticed. Apparently, that is like one of the biggest ways people do grow their the podcast audience is, is people rating and reviewing. I, I don't know. That's always the big... Alex yeah. and I can force people to do that when we I'll remember. Yeah, and I don't have a built-in social media presence because I'm allergic to social media. But let's just uh, say welcome anyone listening to the Thoughtcast conversations about animation i'm philip elke and i'm here in northern minnesota joined from augusta georgia it's uh two lovely members of the Thoughtcast, starting with jody jody uh pulaski uh and i i keep forgetting to ask before the show i you're you're okay with just sticking with jody pulaski it's been yeah. way too long since you've been on the show, but but it's been I totally a while. understand. <laughs> it's been a while. I mean, as you guys know, like I got married back in March, but there's just been a lot going on with, you know, again, like the world reopening. We've moved and work has really picked up and I, I had a lawsuit and I had two dogs and it's just like a lot. Mm-hmm. But yes, you can call me Jody Pulaski, Jody Violet, like whatever you want to call me. I'm excited to be back. And what a story. Mm-hmm. strange type of animation movie to come back in with but i'm excited to talk about tron today uh yeah i could talk endlessly about this but i won't i won't subject neither you nor the listener to that uh but uh we also have the pleasure once again of welcoming alex d back to the show thanks alex how are you doing i'm here ready to talk tron <laughs> Perfect. Well, and uh, yeah, there's there's a little bit of a maybe a pleasure differential when it comes to uh, the experiencing of, of this particular product uh, from for the silver screen. Tron. Yeah, it's uh, it's I, I mentioned on the Slack, it's an acquired taste um, and, and it's definitely manifested, especially for you, Alex, with this viewing. You've only seen it once, correct? Yeah, and I knew I knew nothing about it prior, so I like went in completely blind. Like, no, I didn't look it up. I didn't like know what it was about. No, I mean nobody talks about this movie, so I went in like no previous knowledge of anything. I know that there's gonna be a ride eventually. Um, that's all I know about Tron. But uh, yeah, I yeah. So this was my first. Awesome. I'm with Alex on that. Like I had heard of Tron, but solely because there is a ride that is coming to Magic Kingdom that everyone's pretty excited about called Tron. But I started this movie like Alex. I was like totally just like going in blind. 
So I had to almost like pause it 15 minutes in and read about it because I was like, Philip loves this movie. He's all about this movie. Like maybe I'm missing something. But once I took like 20 minutes to read a little bit about its history and just like the background and restarted it, I feel like I went into it with like a better mindset, but I was sort of like Alex in the beginning too. I was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> I I kind of felt the same way. I saw Tron for the first time in 2010. I was 18 years old in anticipation of the upcoming live action film from Walt Disney Studios that they were promoting quite heavily at the time, Tron Legacy. It looked freaking awesome. Uh, even though I hadn't not seen the original Tron, I, I was pumped just based on like if, if you've ever been convinced to see a film by the trailer uh tron legacy certainly did that for me and it it uh, made me interested in seeing the original so definitely went out and rented that i think that was maybe back in the days of um disc rental from netflix which you can still do it's just <laughs> how many people actually still get the discs from netflix exactly it's it costs a lot more i think oh. but yeah this wow. whole episode is going to be a throwback of some type. Um, maybe, I mean, even further back than 2010, but I'm just saying like, this is back in 1982 that this uh, adventure film was like written and brought out. Um, mm. So it's been almost 30, 40, 30 year, 30 here, years. Here, let me, uh, I have, uh, what is it? It's been a long, long <laughs> time. Decades. My little uh, visual device here my tron 40th anniversary collectible pin uh, oh i love it yeah i think i mentioned it on a previous show uh the one of the perks of being a d23 member <laughs> yeah i was actually gonna suggest before we started recording today um since last time i popped on here a ton of my friends went there have been a lot of exciting announcements mm -hmm. and someday i'd be game to just like discuss the announcements of upcoming stuff and just like well, that's what we idea. see, you know, sort of the vision. But for now, let's focus on the past. Tron. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, none of us here were at D23, but yeah, a lot to uncover there. Certainly, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of that, I'm sure. But, you know, and perhaps over the course of uh, successive episodes as well. Um, yeah, the um, the new ride is called tron light cycle run it's coming to epcot next year uh initial estimates were that it would be opening this year but uh as with many things there's delays especially with the construction of a major attraction like this at a, at a disney park uh so unfortunately folks will have to wait till probably next spring in order to to ride Tron like light cycle run um and perhaps we'll we'll do Tron legacy around that time but for now I I really wanted to cover Tron because of the 40 year anniversary uh, 40, it is one of 40. my favorite yeah it's one of my favorite films of all time 1982 what a year I mean it's it's kind of the epitome of the 80s aesthetic it absolutely is. Like, I think I loved the human scenes, like the real world scenes, just as much as like in the computer scenes, because it really is cool to just like see the fashion, see the music that they're listening to, what they deem as like fun and cool or whatever. It is really just kind of a whole nother world. As much as the computer world is another world, the 80s are another world, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, for whatever reason, 
Uh, I, I have a major spot, soft spot in my heart for that decade. Just the style, the the music, it, you know, just it was such a nexus point in culture and, and technology. Um, yeah, I, for any number of reasons, you could, you know, cite the the appeal of, of a lot of the um, aesthetics of that decade. Even though there's, there's plenty that wasn't so great about the '80s. Um, you know, it, it may be people have a heavy amount of nostalgia for it because it was kind of the last vestiges of what you might refer to as just a simpler time in America uh, when things were a little more cut and dry. And then, you know, you come in more into the information age of the 90s and things are more international. You know, it, it, the 80s were definitely kind of a boom year, boom era for uh the u.s and and around the world as well like the rise of uh the you know the ascendancy of japan as a global player you know just a lot of um i mean disney itself wasn't in the best of shape during the 80s but they kind of came around right at the end so yeah they were kind of struggling it sounds like before um they took on this tron project they were doing like sequels to Herbie like that little car that was like (laughs) cutting around and just nothing was really taking off Mm -hmm. and I think that might be part of the reason they were willing to take this risk because from what I hear like Tron kind of started as like a personal passion project and then it was kicked around to a couple different studios and and no one really took them up on it it was Disney that that was like Mm -hmm. okay we'll do it and you hear that a lot with with certain projects I mean like you hear about Harry Potter like how it was rejected and rejected or whatever so like good on Disney for seeing the potential in this and I mean in a way I know we talked about it before we started recording but in taking on this project it led them to things like Pixar and Toy Story you know that type of animation so uh props to Disney for going away from the little buggy car and to the tech what would you call it? It's not the internet. It's the internet before the internet. Uh, it, the arcade it, world. Cyberspace. Cyberspace. <laughs> yeah. Taking us to cyberspace. Yeah. I read that it was one of the like earliest movies to like use CGI or like one of the mm. first or I forgot how it was phrased, but I like I didn't even like think like that's such a normal thing for us now to just expect it in a movie. And I was like, they it had to be yeah. somewhere. They had to, you know, try it out before it's a normal thing. And there's there's Tron. The the guy in the video you shared, Jody, uh, phrased it kind of oddly because he said like it was the first movie to mostly use, or it was the first movie to use the most CGI in any film. You know, right? It, it, so it was kind of a, a conflicting um sentence there but i think what he was trying to say was i mean it used a lot of cgi for the time mm-hmm. but i looked it up and the actual cgi that you as the viewer watch throughout tron which is about an hour and a half movie you know it's in between 20 and 30 minutes of actual cgi the majority of that um arcade world um the, the inter world um a lot of it is just like colored cells and like filming and lighting and some animation, but the actual CGI that you're watching, it's not such a huge percent as much as I thought when I watched it myself. Yeah. Um, it, it It's yeah. It perhaps more accurately, you know, it's not mostly CG. 
it's it is kind of mostly done using animation or at least the original concept was to backlit animation yeah. yeah and and maybe just have um live action bookends but yeah. uh yeah the it, sequences inside the computer also incorporate live action yeah that's what it says here uh decided to include live action elements with both backlit and computer animation for the actual feature length film um and and, and you know what's oh no no well the animation isn't done using like animation computer programs because those didn't exist at the time this was created the, there were still elements rendered using computers but they had to like insert all the coordinates by hand and oh, rend yeah yeah i mean this was interesting to me that like a four second segment took over 600 like entries essentially i i told philip before we started this i'd have a little trouble like discussing it because the tech terminology isn't second nature to me but essentially to get four seconds of cgi you'd have to compute just to get started compute 600 like movements into the computer so for example like if the motorcycle needs to move for four seconds they had to manually type in 600 cells worth of information just for that part of it alone so this was a labor intensive project so what I thought was interesting was like when it came to announce like the big nominees for like visual effects back in 1983 like apparently like everyone was like Tron is going to be a sure thing it it put in all this time it really you know changed how things were but apparently like it got snubbed because the academy was like uh they used computers that's cheating mm -hmm. so like they thought that the computer effects were like a shortcut Mm -hmm. But really, at the time, that was a long cut. It would have been much faster for them to 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 do it the traditional animation way, you know? Yeah, probably. It it wouldn't have looked the same. Um, no, no. Yeah, yeah. The, those um, data entry points uh, per frame, um, yeah, are six different coordinates. Uh, one coordinate each for the x, y, and z. Um, position of the asset of the, the whether it be like a, a light cycle or a tank or and then the the other three are the pitch the roll and the yaw so basically how this object is oriented on top of that um that previous three coordinate um location so yeah it's it's uh <laughs> yeah that was intense it's kind of funny just how um universal though that process of um determining an object's uh, orientation and its position would become in in um future you know filmmaking and animation but they would it would become you know streamlined through the use of designated or dedicated animation programs becomes more automated yes um, and it's uh, to kind of compound on that thought, it's like, I guess that there were Disney animators who like refused to learn and refused to work on the animation and the CGI because, well, one, they were like traditionalists. They were like, you know what, like this is an art form and you're like muddying it up. But on the other hand, there were people who were scared that it could take over what was currently being done, which was that, you know, 2D artist style of animation so mm -hmm. you got some pushback from the animators within disney itself when they took on this um 
project, but, but all that work went into it. It, it had a nice, healthy budget. I read it was 17 million that they had. So I'm assuming in the eighties, that was a nice chunk of change for a, essentially a new director coming in with a, with a totally unknown style of work for the uh, time. Yeah. Very offbeat. And that's where I kind of want to get, um, some insight from from Alex because I I'm guessing you were put off kind of by just the totally off the wall style of this film, Alex, and maybe some of the ways it it looked kind of kind of rough at times. No, I didn't mind. I didn't mind the way it looked at all. I just thought the plot sucked. Okay, plot. <laughs> <laughs> I was just I wasn't a fan of it. Like I, it just wasn't wasn't for me i thought like i knew that it was a movie from the 80s um i didn't mm. expect it to be you know crystal clear or whatever i just sure. the storyline is a little bit lacking especially once they enter the um the game i feel like while you might have like a little bit of growth with the characters or something like that you definitely don't look at these characters as like oh, this incredible arc that they go through. You don't see, you know, it's not really like a love story. I mean, it's kind of like an action movie. Uh, uh, what would you call it? Like a, an epic type thing. Yeah, I just didn't feel yeah. like there was like a connection to be made to, for me to any of the characters. And then like, it felt like there was so much and then also nothing at all at the same time. Like you're giving me all this, but for what? Like I- right. I like, but I understand like this is, it was before their time. So I, that's why I would, I would like to see the sequel. Cause I'm going to assume that I'm guessing the sequel has a better probably plot. more my speed, just as far as like story progression kind of goes. But as far as this one, it was just very everything and nothing at the same time. Right. They, they put they a lot of so much that they ended up not doing anything with it. That's just kind of how i viewed the plot and i'm guessing most people when they watch this would probably like agree like a really like point that stood out to me where i noticed that what alex is kind of speaking on is when ram kind of is derezzled you don't really care which is a problem because like you can tell that that scene they're trying to sort of make it like what's happening oh no like you're a user it's supposed to be kind of this pivotal like some type of an emotional spot mm -hmm. and it definitely was like all right next scene and honestly it truly did go to the next scene he's like all right now i got this little guy <laughs> who's saying yes and no yes and no that little um pixel or blip that's exactly or what happened yeah. Exa so I, I think we can probably agree on that i mean maybe philip you feel differently about the, the characters oh yeah the the story elements you know, they do kind of feel a little flat. They they get maybe a little overshadowed by just the crazy, zany, psychedelic visuals. Uh, and it did take a few times for me to really kind of get the the point of the narrative, uh, which I have only come to appreciate more and more. And it's basically a corporate espionage sci-fi thriller told as a fantasy epic um set in a sort of mythical location you know this digital round this grid uh where you know through the magic of teleportation which exists in this universe i don't know maybe it exists in ours too it's just totally kept 
<laughs> ultra secret. Only, only for know. Elon Musk. Only for Elon Musk. Exactly. Don't say that he's going to hear you. I know he owns us all. But um, I did kind of like um, how the players within the game were essentially like reenactments of like kind of the users. So that Tron, I mean, he's Alan, right? Yeah, yes. Like, you know, they kind of recycled the characters, which I like that because even though it's not them, it sort of is. And I, I like that in stories and I like that in musicals where if like act one, they're a certain character, but act two, they're like a reflection of their character. I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, there's interesting thing to do. And that's um, covered in, I think, one of the conversations between the villain, David Warner's character, Ed Dillinger, you know, that the sort of uh, senior executive of ENCOM uh, that he's having with their one of their lead engineers, uh, Dr. Walter Gibbs. And Gibbs is talking about how like the, the programs that they write, you know, contain the essence of the programmers. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, the, these programs exist to serve the user. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of like a, a personal connection that they share with the creators um and yeah the, so i suppose there's just that imprint that is um it's portrayed through use of um you know the same actors portraying uh, the the program and the programmer who created them yeah i think what kind of um compounds on that in a way is i heard some people i listened to a couple of reviews of people who have like you know, this is a cult classic to them and just thoughts that they had that went, you know, deeper than the overall good guy, bad guy, whatever. And how they said that they saw like a pretty, a storyline that, you know, kind of like could look somewhat religious when it comes to that MCP and the user and the program and just sort of, you know, the hierarchy of like, I mean, whatever God, you know, I, I don't know if it's necessarily Christianity, but he had sort of an interesting thought on that. And, um, you know, how the universe could be made. I, he goes into depth about it, you know, more so. But I thought it's cool when people can watch this and get those takes out of it. I don't know, Philip, when you watched it, if you saw any type of um, like relationship between like the computer world, that MCP and like the creator being the God. Did you get any of those vibes when you were watching it? The, the reviewer mm -hmm. said he did, but I didn't when I watched it myself. Yeah, it's it's definitely supposed to be you know, sort of a, a biblical allegory relationship between you know man and God, uh, man and the divine. Um, but in this case, you know, man is you know the <laughs> is the representation of God. So it's kind of a an interesting twist. Um, but um, I don't know, and I, I feel like a, another um, apt comparison for this film is um, like the movie The Matrix, which also deals in a lot of spiritual themes. Alex, I thought it was didn't... like the... what? Sorry, what was I that? Thought, <laughs> I thought it. I thought it was a little bit like video game Matrix. Like it kind of gave that. Like it, it reminded me of the Matrix, but not because of like a biblical theme. I just, it was, it was techie. Mm -hmm. It was definitely techie. And you know, cyber, what? cyber stuff. So that's why I was like, this is like the Matrix, but that's just a, a visual, not really visual, but 
theming, I guess. Yeah. I mean, especially because you and I were not, I mean, I guess I'll speak for myself, not you, but I'm not the biggest sci-fi person. Like I, I appreciate things like Dune and some of it, but this is probably one of the only science fiction action adventure films I've seen in the last couple of years. And um, I, I, I'm like Alex where it's like if it has like flashing glowing lights like I'll think of the matrix as well because I have like a limited repertoire of sci-fi stuff um I did want to say though um when I mentioned the budget for this one being kind of hefty I guess they were pretty disappointed like it brought in I don't know 50 million or something like that but the good news was like not long after the game was like released like the arcade game Tron and that brought in a lot of money like that was almost more successful than the movie itself upon first release because they they brought out the video games of it and uh, to go with that did you know like the whole thing according to what i read on wikipedia was inspired by the game of pong you know with the little line going poop 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 and i was thinking to myself i was like man how far we've come from pong like alex just downloaded this like disney world experience 70 dollar video game that makes it feel like you're living in disney world and we've come from pong to this it's crazy yeah i uh haven't played any of those classic tron arcade games but they were hugely successful so um there there is you know major precedent for tron to be you know a, a a mainstay of the Walt Disney canon uh, above and beyond just the film which sometimes if a film underperforms it kind of gets shoved aside and forgotten uh, but I, I love that it's now going to be uh, immortalized through this this ride at Epcot and it, there there also is another uh, version of this this ride um, Shanghai Disneyland I believe oh. yeah Wow, I would love to go after this on YouTube and like watch the ride. You know how you can uh, um, experience it sort of through your screen. Okay. I'm curious how it would be because the Tron roller coaster that they're making in Magic Kingdom, it's on a track. It's not like a virtual reality uh, ride. So I'm curious if it's the same in Shanghai. And I wonder, and maybe Philip knows with his ear to the ground, is it because they plan on doing another sequel or is it because they just... Tron Legacy was a really great oh. movie for their Disney. Like what what made them to decide to do a ride with it? Because it is rare that yeah. movies get a ride, especially live action movies. I gotta correct myself. Yeah, you're right. It's Magic Kingdom. Um it it's under construction by Space Mountain. I was thinking um that this um roller coaster was essentially a stand-in for Space Mountain, especially in Disneyland Shanghai. Uh, where I'm not sure if they have an actual space mountain roller coaster there. I remember them talking about it during that one uh, Disney Parks docu-series um, or Imagineering documentary series on Disney Plus. Um, and during the section about Space Mountain, um, they included this uh, Tron light cycle run a segment about the, the light cycle run ride in, in Shanghai. Um, so I thought it made sense if they brought it over here, it wouldn't be in the same park as Space Mountain. But uh, I guess those two will be kind of adjacent at, at the Magic Kingdom. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> We're going to have to do a field trip and check it out on our own because I definitely am interested in this. Like, I think I said 
to Alex, as soon as the first one finished, I was really excited to see the sequel, which I haven't yet watched. Mm. Um, but I'm, it's curious to me um, if the people who worked on this, Philip, did you find out if they ended up doing more projects? Um, Steven Lisberger um, and Bonnie McBird, yeah. do you know much about what their um, story holds after yeah. this movie came out? Did they have more movies with Disney that we should know about or was Tron kind of like their big thing? It's a good question. Um, I couldn't L find anything with yeah. um, the Lisberger, but I could be wrong. He came up in commercials mainly. Um, he had directed, I believe, one feature prior to Tron, um, uh, an animated film called Animal Olympics, uh, released in 1980. Basically oh, you know to, what? Yeah. I heard about that. Didn't that they want that to come out during the um, the Winter Olympics and the Summer Olympics? It was a, a special that came out. I remember hearing about this with NBC. Yeah, yeah, it was commissioned by like NBC. You know, you know the whoever was carrying the Olympics at the time. But it yeah, it wasn't it was sort of canceled or I don't know. Was it was that when like all the crazy? There stuff... was probably a war. Sometimes when there's like a war, I feel like things get canceled with. Yeah, with like Russia. I don't know. Um, it's always Russia. <laughs> like, why is it always Russia? Uh, but that uh, Animal, Animal Olympics eventually did release in some capacity. Uh, Lisberger, yeah, he, he was mostly known for doing commercials, but he, he really wanted to take this concept of the backlit animation to the, the big screen and um, got a few producers interested in Walt Disney was also interested in being um, sort of in a point of stagnation. Um, Ron Miller is credited as executive producer on Tron. He was the head of the Walt Disney company at the time, uh, married to, uh, I believe, Disney's daughter, uh, if I'm not Ooh, mistaken. And uh, well, we can't forget <laughs> the person who brought in the music. Anyone who knows me knows that like The Shining is one of my favorite movies in the history of forever. And we actually talked about The Shining on here, I believe. Yeah. Um, but the woman who did the music for The Shining, Wendy Carlos, she yeah. also did the music for this. Um, and obviously it's very like electronic music or whatever. But um you guys loved it, right? The music to Tron. Didn't they? Didn't they get nominated for best? Um, I'm not sure. Let me click real quick. <laughs> but I, I just think uh -huh. it was iconic. The the even the non-electronic pieces that were performed. Um, it was like the London Philharmonic Orchestra that was hired in by Disney. Um, but yeah, the scores were. I thought were really very very cool and really played a big yeah. role in the vibe of the overall movie. And I hadn't realized that it was her. And then when I did, when I realized it was the person who did The Shining, I was very happy. Wendy Carlos. Yeah, very distinctive. Uh, I think she came on the scene with Switched On Bach, which uh, was a album released in 1968, produced entirely using synthesizers. Oh my gosh, I've <laughs> never listened to it, but that sounds like a ride in itself. Yeah, just classical music, but very like rudimentary 
electronic um sounds you know, producing these uh, melodies <laughs> and it's uh you know it's a little bit jarring i think i found the original tron score to be a, a little jarring but it, it definitely grew on me as well it's it's got its own like 80s charm and appeal i feel like if you watched it in theaters when it was released it would have been the exact perfect soundtrack i'm assuming yeah. everyone's watched it at their home like computer or like their you know tv but i think if we would have watched it in the theaters that music would have been iconic yeah the orchestral moments are excellent um, just very grand uh, and operatic sounding oh you know what's weird i'm reading here that two additional music tracks were provided by the american band journey yes after british band super tramp pulled out of the project huh. so i guess the the songs that journey provided were the 1990s theme and only solutions so i would have to go back and watch it and try to find what those were at but um yeah yeah that's only, curious to yeah me. that that plays during the arcade scenes only solutions um oh, and sure, and uh sure. it's even quoted by flynn um he's, he's like like the man said no problems only solutions which is a quote from john oh. lennon i didn't catch that see that's why philip is the lead of this podcast because I, he's watching i just looked at i googled it oh okay um with something else i had put in my notes uh when i had gone through just you know the making of this was like at the time the state-of-the-art computer used for the film's special effects it only had 2 mb of memory and like huh. 300 mb of storage and i sort of tried to look up what that meant to someone like me, you know, like sure. a normal person. And nowadays, like, that is like a low quality image that you would like upload to Facebook. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's not anything. I was trying to say like, what is 2MB, you know, to someone like you or me? Mm -hmm. And it is literally nothing. Yeah. Do you remember the orange that they uh, tell or they just, you know, they lasered the orange? Uh, yeah, I remember it, but I don't know what was unique about it. Well, there is a digital, like a JPEG that shows up on the screen, the computer oh. screen. Um, and, and it's very pixelated. So that kind of shows, it demonstrates the digital image quality of that era. That was about as good a resolution as a, a digital image could be at the time. And it, it was clearly not great. And I know that we talked about this, but, it, and I, it just, it just blows my mind. It just blows my mind. We talked about Toy Story and how it was sort of, that tech was inspired by Tron. You look at Toy Story 1 and Toy, Toy Story 4, and just how computers have improved and changed in this short period of time, it's really mind-blowing. And my question is, like, 40 years from now, will we look back at the current CGI and go, huh, that's pretty, sh you know, when do we hit the point where like good is good and great is great? Like, are we ever, you think, going to hit that point with technology and CGI? Because obviously looking at this, you know, we look back and go, oh, how cute. Like they were really doing something. Mm -hmm. Do you think the CGI today is going to pale in such comparison 40 years from now? It already, it already kind of has just between now and just anything with like the early 2000s or even like um for like video games you'll have 
you know, games where it's like when you were younger, you're like, wow, these graphics were so good. And you play it now and you're like, this sucks. But that also has to do with like the size of the screen you were watching it on. So that really doesn't apply to movies. But still, like we already look back on things that, oh, this was so good. Like Tron was probably so good for its time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm wondering where yeah, that's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. It It has to. I know, but I'm wondering if there's gonna be a point in CGI where it's like this is no as lifelike as lifelike can be. Mm -hmm. I, you see that in like Star Trek, where the holodecks there are indistinguishable from reality. Like they're somehow able to generate matter through the use of holographic projectors you know smells uh, you know obviously visual data but um you know and then like in Westworld, you have the the hosts who are humans indistinguishable from real flesh and blood humans um but yeah the way they create the hosts is just very sophisticated um you know fluid and textures uh that are um, artificial um you know you have replicants in the blade runner films and in the novel by um philip uh, k dick uh, this this movie kind of reminds me of philip k dick in a way too um and of course a lot of the concepts from tron are are developed by famous artists uh who they were fortunate to have brought on board the film probably part of that uh, fairly sizable budget for the time um, artists like Sid Mead a con- conceptual futurist and um, the artist Jean Girard aka Mobius who did a lot of surreal artwork from the era mm-hmm. um, so that definitely contributes to why I I just love this movie so much. Um, the 80s themselves, I mean, we had that movie and, and novel, kind of one of the last like um, required reading novels that I've read, you know, in, in my adulthood, that, that uh, book, Ready Player One. Um, oh, I love Ready. We actually, Alex, Sean and I had dinner and Ryan the other night um, and we were talking about Ready Player One and how iconic that movie is i know the word iconic gets thrown around a lot but that book and that that was a very yeah Mm -hmm. sorry continue philip but well it it, comes up in conversation which means it's iconic yeah and it kind of elucidates why precisely the 1980s were are so beloved um just the, the video game you know the rise of nintendo it sort of was the decade of star wars the decade birthed by star wars specifically within cinema you know, the original Star Wars was released in 1977, but of course it spawned endless imitators throughout the following decades. Um, and then the, the two sequels to the original Star Wars were released during the 1980s. So that, that also makes sense. Yeah, that whole like arena of like animation and tech and video games, like I guess yeah. Lisberger, I guess when he was like going to MIT in Boston, he met a bunch of programmers who were really into that computer animation and just like gaming and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it really inspired him because like, obviously at the time that was like a brand new frontier and he saw their true passion for it, you know, for these computers, which now we look back on and it was like just hunks of junk, but like he, he really saw how much people loved that 
realm and how much people put into it. And like you said that, you know, people who are getting into things like Star Wars and things like that, I feel like the 80s brought out a bunch of these subsets of people. And he apparently, um, Lisberger was frustrated by kind of like the click nature of like the computer and video game people. And he was hoping that a film like this would open up that world to everyone like mainstream a little bit which i think um he, he succeeded in a way with that you know mm-hmm. it made it more accessible for like the normal people to get into mm-hmm. it a little bit yeah yeah I th- I, due to kind of a lack of financial performance from the film and just a variety of other things I, I think um sometimes it's hard for someone in animation to really successfully cross over and in, into live action so lisberger would only go on to direct two more features, uh, the last of which was a collaboration with the original Star Wars producer, Gary Kurtz. And uh, Kurtz was going through some major financial difficulties at the time. He was getting divorced and lost a lawsuit. So he uh, lost virtually all the money he had wanted to use in order to, yeah, like his profits from Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back um, were basically uh, (laughs) reduced to vapor. And so this film uh, that he collaborated on with uh, Steven Lisberger called Slipstream um, just had a dramatically reduced budget and, and did not even get distributed in the United States. So it just was a colossal financial failure, unfortunately. And so I think Liz, Lisberger basically just bowed out from directing after that and would go on. I think he probably stayed doing commercials and then um, would continue to be in talks with Disney uh, regarding a Tron sequel, but that didn't happen until 2010 and under a new director. I always hope that these directors and these people who work on projects where, you know, it's something really, really big and then their career in some ways, I don't want, I hate to say it, but sort of like fizzles out. I hope they can still be really proud of the projects they did bring to life. Like, you know, the trajectory of like an artist can't always be upward. So I hope he knows like, the impact he made in the way he did. I'm not sure like what he did 40 years down the road, but I mean, clearly it wasn't directing like you said. So yeah. was he involved at all with, with the sequel, like in any capacity, like um, is he even alive? He yeah. He, he's, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, I'd have to see. He was uh, an actor in the film. He played a bartender. He doesn't have yeah. any lines. Um, oh, what a dream. I want to do that. He's <laughs> a producer on Tron Legacy. Okay. Hmm. Um, also a writer, uh, well, credited as a writer because of the use of uh, characters from the original Tron. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he really was the author of Tron, you know, with sort of in the manner of like a George Lucas with Star Wars, but, you know, didn't end up with the multi-billion dollar empire that George <laughs> Lucas did. Not everyone can be the inventor of the toaster strudel. Mm-hmm. fill up no that's a joke but I mean like not everyone can like start Star Wars um but like I don't know if you guys read this with um Lisberger when he like he had been talking about this like from even 10 years beforehand so um it's okay that it didn't turn into Star Wars because at least he got to see his dream kind of come true with it oh and this is my one other like little bullet point that I had on my notes that doesn't really have to do with him per se. But I was saying like for an action movie, like I appreciated how like nonviolent it was. Mm-hmm. And then I did read in the notes how like they switched out 
guns for like the frisbee discs and stuff. I don't know if necessarily it was guns, but they did make like a, a an effort to keep it like as uh, actiony without being violent. And I thought that was good because even though I wouldn't really call this a kids movie, anything under Disney's name, especially in the 80s, would have fallen under like family friendly. Mm-hmm. And um so it's probably good that they did that. But I personally think this movie was definitely geared more towards, you know, teenagers and up adults, young adults. For sure. So they probably could have used guns if they wanted to. And so many uh, pieces of kids content from the area era and beyond um, would sort of abstract the use of guns to the use of like energy beam weapons as like a means of censorship because you know a lot of times it wouldn't fly to just have straight up guns in a kid's show um it's so it's this is averted in the batman animated series from the 90s where the villains do use real guns but they're like kind of stylized you know 1930s and 40s era you know uh, mafia tommy guns so like they're kind of able to get away with it there but like gi joe um transforms like it's all energy beam weapons but they're still you know basically guns just star wars star trek like uh, so they could have easily gone that route in tron and and it would have still been deemed perfectly acceptable for kids but i i love how yeah this is such a unique um your style compared to that with the use like the discs and stuff my question oh sorry alex you've been not talking but i just have one quick question the discs at the beginning they say the disc can learn like everything you've experienced and blah 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 what that what are the discs um i'll i'll get to that uh but alex did did you have a, a question yeah, I- it was just I didn't know I didn't even consider that like there was no weapon like you know guns or whatever considering that in you know the arcade and like the video game aspect is such a big part of it and at that time well I don't know what arcade games were insanely popular or whatever but I know that you know there was there was guns in some of them, you know, like shoot 'em up kind of games um, where kids were going to the arcade and stuff like that. So the fact that they chose to replace, even if it's, you know, not like a a gun with bullets, you know, that, you know, pew, pew, pew is still <laughs> in, in games and stuff like that. So the fact that they chose to replace that with something else um, is interesting. I didn't even like consider that they had like utilized a different this thing as a weapon it shows that they can make small changes like that to like lower violence in movies and shows without it really making a dramatic difference to the actual like story within collectors communities online um the search term gun or even similar things like blaster are are often like censored or they uh they won't yield uh effective results because of just the um the taboo on 
words like that within sort of a, a space based around, you know, basically toys for kids. Um, but of course there are lots of adults who like to collect toys and, and a lot of toys that have, you know, guns or blasters or energy weapons. So, so the code word that's often used for, okay, this action figure, it does come with the original weapon included the they'll, they'll use the term pew pew for gun. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but let's see the, the identity discs, I, I guess, um, they're kind of like this, uh, <laughs> I guess there's similar concepts in other media and, um, you know, how Sauron, he poured his essence into the one ring, uh, you know, uh... contained his cruelty, all his malice, you know, his desire to rule all. Um, so, I mean, the identity disc is, it kind of is, is like the, the storage memory of, of the program just contained within a smaller package. I didn't know if it was one of those things where it learns as you learn, like artificial intelligence style. I wasn't sure if like the discs, you know, later on in the movie, they would remember things that had been done in order to like advert things. I don't think it ever actually gets that deep, but I was wondering if there was more to it with these discs, but sounds like they were just kind of like. Yeah, they're never shown to be sentient, you know, like like the bit. Uh, did you like the bit, Alex? The, the, the guy thing yeah i, I love bit uh yes or no, you know. yes no thing <laughs> yeah yeah that was the only thing that i liked in that movie <laughs> i love he was it. My I, character i knew you were gonna like it yes yes no yes yeah i mm. like that mm-hmm. <laughs> fun little uh computing humor um well comedic relief after that really emotional death <laughs> oh poor ram you know that, that guy kind of reminds me of like ryan the temp from the office he, he looks sort of similar you know bj novak oh, i don't know if you yeah. ever know i, I don't know <laughs> just sort of but the way he's he's this accounting program this actuarial you know, he's just like a boring office uh you know computer program kind of but then he's given this sort of heroic you know moment in the film um yeah i mean the light cycle chase is cool it's kind of like very primitive how they on the gaming grid they just turn in these perfect 90 degree turns and you know you would think that would be just extremely disorienting for anyone riding in these these motorcycles (laughs) to to make these you know impossible maneuvers and somehow they do it I think that's how the ride is going to be. I don't know if anyone out there has done like, no, not like that. Sorry. The motorcycle part. Um, you know, if anyone's ridden flight of passage in animal kingdom, Mm. um, how you kind of ride on an e-cron, I think the Tron ride, you're going to ride on a motorcycle. Like you're going to be strapped on a motorcycle. We'll see. That's my, that's my, that's my thought. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of, um harness you into this roller coaster in a, in a kind of a well yeah the the way that you're sort of um sitting on you know you're leaning over the front of the handlebars essentially yeah it's exactly like how you ride the ikran in uh in the avatar ride or the, in, isn't there like a harry potter like broomstick rides similar as well <sighs> 
wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Flight of Passage is the Avatar one. Yeah, and um, that one's amazing. Alex wouldn't really know just yet, but I've only been to Magic Kingdom, so no spoilers, please. <laughs> see, Harry Potter broomstick ride. Um, what is that one called? It's it's like the Moonlight. Uh, there's there's a Hagrid motorcycle ride, which is just a roller coaster. But Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey, I believe, it's groundbreaking, state of the art, uh, virtual reality technology. So yeah, that's what it is. Uh, so uh, Alex, uh, what is your first memory of like using a computer when you were a child? When did you become first become aware of computers? Um, that's actually. We always had one like mm -hmm. growing up, but I um, like really like didn't it was like we had a computer, but nobody really used it. I don't know why we had one. Um, and then I know like when I would go to like my like when I was like young and we like lived with my grandma for a little bit, she, like she had a computer, but like it didn't connect to like Internet. Mm -hmm. um, when was Internet invented? that's a good question i don't know think, but I, uh, yeah i used to play like a little maze game on the computer or, like solitaire or minesweeper or something and then like once i started like using the family computer um you know like club penguin and, cool. uh, webkins and neopets and stuff like that but now i'm chronically online so <laughs> it's literally her full-time job <laughs> Extremely online. Um, I basically 94, 95 is when kind of your average con consumer would start being able to log into the internet and World Wide Web. I mean, there were sort of primitive ways of doing that before that. You know, you see in the movie uh, War Games, Matthew Broderick's like using this telephone receiver to like hook up to some weird speaker that's like projecting you know, coded signals that, that allow him to connect to, um, you know, nationwide servers. Um, and in Tron, it's, you know, major companies and military organizations could connect to a thing called ARPANET, um, which allowed for the, the transfer of information, you know, across, you know, large regions, possibly internationally. Uh, Thanks, Al Gore. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding i don't know if that's accurate <laughs> i think the whole al gore thing came about in the 90s and he might have been associated with like the popular popularization of internet f for like just home users um but i don't know if he had anything to do with that i i could be I, I i know that it's a very facetious comment to make that al gore invented the internet and i'm not sure the full extent of the origin of that and there's probably not very much truth to it um but it's kind of funny to me how his name is al gore and like computer programs operate using algorithms <laughs> oh my god is that on purpose or is it just like a fun coincidence it's for everyone conspiracy. yeah I, I think the word algorithm existed long before al gore did we question everything on this podcast, so it's allowed to be unsure. I think it existed <laughs> as a mathematical term, you know. Ah, uh, okay. Yes. Yeah, for centuries before it began its use in a computer context. The internet actually created Al Gore. So 
And then of course you have um, in the Space Jam sequel, uh, the character of Al G. Rhythm, played by Don Cheadle. He's like the Warner Brothers, Warner Media, like <laughs> HBO kind of overlord. <laughs> uh I, yeah it's it's, it's bizarre um s- semi self-aware depiction of what the corporate culture of a major media conglomerate uh, is like and how they you know just like to rehash the same old ideas and you know creative bankruptcy and stuff stuff like that but uh <laughs> not exactly you know being overly transcendent of that as exemplified by sort of the hackiness of a lot of that film space jam legacy it just it yeah it did not um perform i don't think critically uh well I see, yeah. it. I see the second one but i'm a big space jam fan so i can't believe i haven't watched it yet sometimes i think that happens with sequels when there's like a big delay in between like they think they're gonna scoop up all the like ogs Mm -hmm. but then like the ogs have nine to fives and like they can't afford it so yeah yeah the original space jam wasn't all that critically lauded either um but yeah i loved it kids seem to love it um i'm i don't know if you can see this i'm wearing my tom hanks david pumpkins shirt that i just got (laughs) (laughs) any questions i love that (laughs) i wish that see this is why we need to do a live show like no cost but for the viewers and the listeners like that's what they're missing out on definitely in the cars we'll have to talk about this off the air but um the uh, you know my my love of david the david pumpkins saturday night live sketch stems from uh, it's sort of commentary on the state of modern franchise IP. <laughs> and it's just this pressing question on the part of the tourists who are doing this like haunted, you know, elevator uh, Halloween attraction thing, uh, who just d- mind boggled by this concept of David Pumpkins and who is he, you know, what is he from? You know, what is the significance of this character? And uh, it's <laughs> I just love how Tom Hanks is like, David Pumpkins is his own thing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we need more originality. <laughs> um, and, and of course, this leads into, um, you know, uh, shall we dare say Pinocchio? Uh, have either of you seen the new Pinocchio film? No, not yet. Not. I was going to watch it, but you said it's not for adults, so I, so then I didn't. Uh, that's fine. I if you can avoid it. <laughs> are we going to talk? Like, are we supposed to talk about it eventually? I, I was going to. If we briefly... ever do a mini so, like, I would like to hop in because I plan on watching it tonight. Actually, we should. Oh, maybe... If we're all going to watch it, then I'll watch it. Yeah, we should maybe cover the original. Um, but I was just going to comment on the state of Disney live action because uh, Tron and Tron Legacy are kind of far and away my favorite films from the live action branch of Walt Disney Pictures. Um, and I, I've, I heard it said recently on a podcast that these uh, Disney live action adaptations are uh, <laughs> spiraling. Guy, he well he, he used a, a funny term he, um he called them 
an orgy of creative bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. No, I love Disney too much to like give in to that. But I do agree that at some point they need to limit their amount of live actions. Again, at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about going through the D23 announcements. And I definitely have a bone to pick with like the nonstop remakes. But that's another day. That's another that's yeah. another podcast. Well, we'll definitely talk about Little Mermaid. Um, oh, yeah, that's going to be good. You know, we, you and I, Jordy, talked about Mary Poppins Returns on the show. I think we both mm-hmm. liked it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's the same director. So there could be some good things in store with the new Ma- Little Mermaid film. Uh, Jody, I, I know you uh, liked the Master Control program character. Definitely iconic, uh, you know, recurring. I didn't like the design of the Master Control. Oh, it's kind of freaky. That- yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know what. I kind of feel like it was like a possessed, like, Veggie Tales tomato spinning around and i didn't like that but i i like i liked all of it it's really alex here we got to get her final thoughts with not me my Uh, final thoughts of tron is it time (laughs) well (laughs) i don't know i i know jody you appreciated the uh the line oh well end of line oh i loved that and i loved that they used it throughout the whole um movie i'm not sure if that's something they actually utilized in the tech world or in the olden day computers but i think it's iconic like i plan on ending this podcast with end of line yeah, spoiler alert um no you're, you're right it, it was used in computer coding um definitely sort of more from the era of you know c- command line that's what they called the old like typing onto a black screen just the command line interface before they developed sort of the more graphical user interfaces that, you know, were user friendly to, you know, anyone using a computer today. Um, so yeah, like back in the era before windows, you know, the, the term windows comes from this ability to navigate a computer more, you know, quickly without having to know um, a whole bunch of different coding languages um but yeah i I was it is kind of funny you alex you said you didn't know what people use computers or you know what your computer was necessarily used for at your house and i kind of feel the same way like about you know when i see uh commercials or ads for computers back in the 80s and early 90s it's like bring uh bring this high-tech device into your home and for only, you know, $13.99, you know, like these things were crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what did they, they're basically just like a glorified uh, typewriter, typewriter or calculator. <laughs> My mom was a teacher back in the 80s and we had a desktop, a big square desktop. And quite literally, the only thing she used it for was typing and printing. Cause like, I don't think she even understood how to send things to herself within it. Like mm-hmm. it, it was exactly that. It was exactly that. Um, one final bit of trivia in the video game Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, not the new one that's coming out, mind you. They, they are making a remake of the original Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, which is a 2009 uh, first person shooter video game. Um, 
in with the, in, discs or guns? <laughs> uh, with guns, <laughs> the war game, yeah, modern warfare. Yeah. Um, but in the multiplayer, which I I played quite a bit actually, it was basically the only online shooter that I spent significant amount of time playing. Um, but if you got a thirty kill streak, if you killed thirty people consecutively without dying during an online match, you could call in a nuclear bomb that would end the match. <laughs> it was oh. uh, pretty impressive. <laughs> um, and if you were able to do this five times, you would unlock a special emblem that you could add to your online profile. And this emblem was uh, is a banner that read end of line. And it was set against a neon grid-like pattern a la Tron. Huh. I love that. And yeah. I know that was going to be our last piece of trivia, but I did want to say one last other piece of trivia. I had like not heard of Tron, but after watching Tron, I realized it's referenced in like the family guys, Simpsons and South Park. Like Tron is referenced all over the world. So watch it or mm -hmm. else. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Um, yeah, it's, it's sort of like a, you know, it's a compute, a modern Alice in Wonderland kind of crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just also saw this movie uh, in IMAX called Moon Age Daydream, which is a David Bowie documentary slash concert experience. And like that, just the crazy neon colored 80s, 70s, you know, psychedelic psychedelia. Um just, just was really a fun I, as someone who's come to appreciate that aesthetic, especially through things like Tron, Blade Runner, 2001, A Space Odyssey, you know. Um, but yeah, I was I was happy to kind of just soak that in in this purely visual and auditory kind of. Uh, yeah, sensory experience with uh, with this uh, David Bowie documentary moon age daydream so uh recommend from me on that um what else uh i think i was gonna mention um yeah the, we, we talked a little bit live action with pinocchio that's now out and probably won't cover that on, on the show um directly um which which leads me to um i i want some comments from both of you on um, inside out before we sign off, if you don't mind. Um, I thought there were, were maybe some parallels between inside out and Tron, but I mean, um, you're kind of exploring the mind of a computer in Tron. And then you have like the anthropomorphic emotions, the, uh, within the human mind, um, computer code uh, is expressed at its root in a binary fashion, it's a combination of zeros and ones, whereas in Riley's mind, it's a combination of these five different emotions. So it's, uh, it's a lot more complex in that way. Um, but uh, did, did, did you both watch Inside Out? I did, because I, I planned on being on that one. Yeah, I watched it when we were supposed to do it, but that was like two weeks ago. Yeah. I can share my, my thoughts first. My mm -hmm. brain reads it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on this week now. I knew you would be. Uh, my thoughts that I like wanted to share about Inside Out was for people who like movies 
like Tron or Inside Out or the movie Osmosis Jones, Mm -hmm. like I really enjoy when they can kind of like break down something internal and kind of personify it or kind of give it some type of like, I don't know how to explain it, but it has like a life on its own. Like your brain or your feelings have their own like life of their own or like your body and the antibiotics have life of their own or Tron inside the computer has life of its own. I really like that because I feel like for me, it gives me an opportunity to kind of like look internally and like not be so like hard on myself. So like inside out where, you know, anger kind of has its own control and sadness has its own control or whatever, or, you know, in Tron with the game or whatever, it kind of gives you the opportunity as like a bystander to be like a little more like kind to yourself or like a little less like bias on your emotions. And I really love inside out, not because it features like a little Minnesota, like queen, (laughs) but, um, which is where I was like born and raised, but I do love anytime there's an opportunity to step back from something that happens internally and, um, just kind of, you know, experience it from inside out, outside in. (laughs) Yeah. Be a, be an observer, you know, it's Mm -hmm. helpful to be able to kind of step back. Um, yeah, Alex inside out. Um, I had a bunch of things to share when you guys were talking about it. Um, but I watched another movie, so it replaced <laughs> the one. My my little people in my brain, they don't they don't work that hard. So, <laughs> um, no, it, I like I like Inside Out. I've seen it before. Yeah. I think it's cute. It makes me cry. It makes my sadness person be sad. And um, I had like profound things to share, but. I missed it. So we'll have to like do it in like 10 years. Like, uh, I'll be yeah. here. Like a throwback e- episode. We'll be like, oh my gosh, the animation from Inside Out is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. RAM is in computer terms, like the short term memory. Uh, so uh, Inside Out has in in some ways apparently left your ram shall we say yeah it's it's gone yeah <laughs> and you know what in two weeks i'm not gonna remember tron so I guess that's, that's a good thing you know for me so it's all right <laughs> just kidding you know that uh i think there was a, a famous um tv chef who just said set it and forget it mm-hmm. so sometimes it's good to just you know, yeah, like instead of trying to retain everything and be, be on top of every sin, you know, little thing that's going on, you got to just kind of take in the moment and then let it go. Um, well, uh, so we shall conclude this uh, uh, connection to the input-output terminal that is this episode of the Thodcast Conversations about in a ma- animation i don't know what i'm trying to say there um but yeah thank you so much for listening thank you so much alex and jody um anything to to plug or uh, any final things to say uh, jody start off with you um like before i'm just really on tiktok right now but there's no new content with how crazy life has been but if you want to follow me there it's jody j-o-d-i pulaski p-o-l-a-s-k-y and i think there's a 47 after it but I am also having a very like computer problems in my brain, but um, hopefully I'll be back here in the next couple of weeks um, talking about whatever's next on the docket. Right. Alex, any final comments for the listener or anything's plugged? 
You can find me on Jody's TikTok. She's gonna have <laughs> content of me after this weekend. Um, we'll be viral singing happy birthday. Um, and cool. yeah, hopefully I'll be back for the next one if I stop not being here. So yeah, uh, looking forward to have you back on the Thoughtcast as soon as we can uh, get the another get the next show on the road. Um, We'll, we'll talk about what uh, we want, want to do next. Oh, I was maybe wanting to do that um, that movie Luck. We'll, we'll talk about that. Um, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, we'll uh, that'll be it for the Thoughtcast. You can find us streaming all over the place. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, uh, iHeartMedia. Uh, we're hosted on SoundCloud. You can also listen on Spotify, uh, at Thoughtcast on Twitter and Instagram, thoughtcast.com, uh, at Philip Elke. It's my personal handle on Twitter and Instagram. Otherwise, everyone out there, please uh, have a magical day. Have a wonderful week. Warm hugs. And... End of lion. <laughs> the <Goodbye. laughs> Yay!